Welcome to the Staking Defense Podcast, a show where we talk to validators and key stakeholders in the crypto infrastructure world. My name is Kevin, and I'll be your host. Staking Defense aims to offer candid discussions about the state of decentralization and use the validator perspective to shed light on what is happening under the hood of some of your favorite protocols. We've got a mission, the same unifying vision that brought a lot of us into crypto. So while the term decentralization feels a bit tired at this point, it's something we want to promote and protect with these conversations. Today, we're speaking with Michael O'Rourke, CEO and co-founder of the Pocket Network. Pocket is a decentralized RPC network that offers distributed access to RPC nodes for a wide variety of blockchains. Incentivized distributed node operation is an incredibly important piece of the blockchain infrastructure puzzle, and one that often does not get the attention it deserves. So today, my fellow SDL council member David Campbell and I speak with Michael about the state of the pocket network and his thoughts about the future of blockchain infrastructure. Thank you, Michael O'Rourke, for taking the time to talk to us here on the Staking Defense podcast. I know David kind of mentioned we are running infrastructure. This is actually the first collaborative infrastructure that we've run as the Staking Defense, and we couldn't think of a better place to do it than Pocket, really, as far as what we consider our mission to be at the Staking Defense League. It's really to just get more people to run infrastructure and have a more diverse group of people running infrastructure across the blockchain world. And, you know, you need a a really robust, amazing platform to enable that to work on all levels, economic, technical, et cetera. And so you guys are really the only ones that we're aware of doing that in the spirit that makes sense. And across the variety of networks, really a blockchain agnostic approach, which is important to us. And so, yeah, with that backdrop, I would love to get the background part out of the way and learn a little bit about your road to Pocket and what motivated you to start Pocket. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. There's a lot of personal experience, I think, that goes into uh, some of the decisions that we made early on, and not just myself, with, but with my co-founders as well. Uh, just a little bit about myself. My name is Michael Work. I was born in the Dominican Republic in, in Santo Domingo, and I'm fluent in Spanish, but uh, moved to Tampa Bay, Florida, which is still my home when I was about two years old. I think there's a couple life experiences that kind of led to just me discovering Bitcoin in, in 2013 and really caring about it. But one, I've used Western Union uh, plenty of times and and felt that pain um, distinctly, sending money to my family. Uh, I played a ton of video games growing up, so I was very comfortable with digital value. You know, mm-hmm. Neopets, RuneScape, World of Warcraft, uh, Dota are the main uh, uh, ones that stick out for me. And lastly, I did uh, in 2011 and 2012, I worked at uh, two separate credit unions selling loans. And I saw, I saw thousands of, of credit reports and we kind of see how crappy the financial system can be for some people. So I'd say that probably radicalized me the most more than anything. And in 2013, I read an article on Wired about Bitcoin and kind of led me down to the subreddit, to the Bitcoin talk forums, and eventually the white paper. And I was pretty mind blown when I bought my first Bitcoin on Coinbase, sent like 0.25 Bitcoin to my cousin and was like, dude, <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's kind of like really when I just fell in love with, the, with this technology, um, you know, by training, uh, I actually was an international studies student in college, wanted to be a diplomat, but then I taught myself to code uh, before I graduated, was an iOS developer for about three years. And in 2016, after the Dow hack, I was working at a small startup in Sarasota, Florida, and 
my co-founders and I, that's where we met. That's when we started playing around Solidity, using other services to build and, and launch some of these smart contracts that we were playing around with. And that kind of led to Pocket at the end of the day. You know, over the years, I'd read a bunch of posts on the Bitcoin talk forums and the E3 search forums about incentivizing full nodes. And there had been a couple tries previous. Uh, VIP node is something that sticks out to me back from the early days. And um, that's kind of when we started triangulating around Pocket when we saw CryptoKitties, we saw EtherDelta, uh, all the ICOs, all of it uh, using one single provider. And uh, that just felt like a really risky bottleneck considering that no matter what kind of application you're using, no matter how abstracted it is, at some point, it's going to contact a full node at the end of the day. Um, so it felt like a really big, important problem that we felt like we could solve. And, and that's kind of led us to starting the company and, and thinking about the protocol. Yeah, it's great. Shout out to World of Warcraft servers and, and guilds as like the original alpha chat, for sure. Pretty much everybody <laughs> I know who is 2013 and sooner comes from there in some form or another. It's crazy how quickly the veil kind of lifts from your eyes as you enter crypto and really even a cursory exploration of blockchain infrastructure, which is how I got into it. You know, I was taken with the narrative and and everything. I come from like a digital media background and more of like a data privacy concerns and all the things that I was seeing there about how companies own your data and you have sort of no say over it and was taken in with that and sort of everything else. And yeah, you find out very quickly that there are serious choke points and you're like, there's a theater to the sort of how decentralized things actually are. And yeah, that's kind of what let me in. And I guess one of the questions that I wanted to really start is, is big picture, your vision for how the RPC ecosystem will evolve. And you guys are really in an interesting cross-section because a conversation that we get into a lot is like how much the user cares about this, right? Like at every level of blockchain, you know, from consumer experience to financial apps, all of these things, it's about making the user experience seamless, about abstracting away complexity and difficulty. And so something like decentralization and these sort of things ideologically a user may care, but if somebody is providing a better user experience without that, we've seen time and time again, how people opt for convenience. And so there's that push and pull and you guys being a sort of economically incentivized ecosystem based around, like you said, running these RPCs and running infrastructure more broadly, you get to see where people really come down when push comes to shove on what they care about. So definitely interested to pick your brain on that kind of big picture vision and what you've learned through your time at Pocket thus far. Yeah. Anyone who's building a blockchain is in the business of building an institution. I think many of us don't trust in our existing institutions or that trust has been degraded over time. And there's only been a handful of inventions that coordinate humans, right, uh, in, in the history of humanity. So you've got religion, governments, the invention of corporation, you can see universities probably too blockchains are kind of the first internet native one. So for me, when we talk about really what we're doing, it's, it's, I believe, building institutions for a world that we think can be better than the existing one that we live in. Many of us trust in the DAOs that we participate in more than the other institutions that we might be a part of. So, you know, when we talk about the vision for Pocket, I believe that we have the opportunity to kind of build a substrate for an important part of the middleware stack. As I mentioned before, 
all of the traffic that we use in our day-to-day Web3 lives settles down to a full node. And I view Pocket as a part of this really critical middleware stack, whether it's privacy, storage, indexing, you name it, even VPNs, right? Like all these things that make the stack more resilient as a decentralized technology is just critically important, right? And that's really why we're building Pocket. And to some of the other points that you made, you know, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't think it could be better by virtue of being decentralized. I think there are certain properties that, uh, particularly in the infrastructure space, that are very common across whether it's, you know, Filecoin, Arweave, you know, name your indexing protocol, where uh, we're basically taking compute to the individual and to the edge, right? And in our case, I believe we can be faster than our centralized counterparts and more reliable and cheaper, right? And I think that's a very common thread uh, across many different infrastructure type protocols, given the nature of people actually operating their own server and this sort of thing. And what's really interesting is that by coordinating people to spin up servers, we've actually been able to bring a lot more people into learning and operating nodes and understanding blockchains, which is really, really exciting for me. Do developers care or do people care? I don't think they should care. I feel like it's our jobs to build the guardrails so that they shouldn't have to care in that respect. Just because, you know, as humans, we've got just so many things going on all the time. And there's only so many things that we're able to care about. We have families, we have jobs, we have all these things. And as a protocol builder, we've tried to build this in a way that no one necessarily has to care. But when they see that certain things happen throughout the years, whether it's things going down, whether it's, you know, Tornado Cash, OFAC, then they kind of start to see, okay, I see why it's important now at the end of the day, right? And that's why we've seen VPN use steadily climb over the years. So for us, the important part has been the more people use it, the more decentralized Pocket gets. And really, honestly, most developers we speak to don't necessarily care that Pocket is decentralized. They really care that we're reliable, that we're fast, and that we're cost-effective, right? Now, there are some use cases that I think people care about, and I think it'll be growing over these next few years. I think Tornado Cash and these sorts of things was a bit of a canary in the coal mine, and we'll start to see some more incidents similar to that. But we really tried to build the guardrails so that developers at the end of the day, you know, what they care about as someone who's built products before, I mean, you only notice infrastructure when it goes down, right? So we just really wanted to build the best, most performing thing. And I don't think we would have done this if we didn't think it could be better by virtue of being decentralized. So, Yeah. I'll pause for a second. And I know we have David Campbell here. I don't think I introduced you at the beginning, David. I don't know if you have anything to add or questions kind of on the 30,000 foot view or... Yeah, I do, Kevin. And uh, thanks, Michael, for joining. Really pleased you could be here with us today. So I come from the InfoSec world and in information security, people are either really excited about Web3 and crypto or they can't stand it at all. And it really was brought to a fine point for me in January of 2020, was it 2022, when Moxie Marlin Spike did a blog post that he called My First Impressions of Web3. So for those of you that don't know Moxie, he's like an OG cryptographer, security researcher, best known probably for being the creator of Signal which is, I think, one of the world's first, probably the world's first end-to-end encrypted messenger. But his first impressions of Web3 were not good at all. And one of the things that he correctly assessed and surfaced through this post was that beneath this veneer of decentralization, there are these centralized choke points. And he mentioned Infura and Alchemy and a few others. And then went on to talk about how NFTs don't actually bind through any sort of cryptographic commitment the content of like the JPEG to the thing that exists on chain. Which is, it's interesting, but it hurts when I see people like Moxie saying, Hey guys, Web3 has all this promise, all this potential. Like this is really the way we wanted the internet to look and work from the beginning because the internet actually started very decentralized. But our current state is not at all 
decentralized. And so it was with tremendous excitement that I saw Daniel from Pocket give a talk at Denver last year, which was my first exposure to Pocket. And I said, wow, this is it. This could really work. This could provide the financial incentives for people to run infrastructure to really decentralize that RPC layer of Web3, which is sorely needed. So I was super excited to learn about the project and to see the progress to date. But I got to say, I was disappointed when Tornado was censored by OFAC and the US Treasury, that Pocket basically had to play ball with the powers that be and had to participate in that censorship. So I guess my question to you, Michael, is you've made a lot of progress with the project to date. It's impressive, but I believe there are plans to further decentralize the protocol. I think V1 is maybe what's next just to address these underlying problems that still create this centralized choke point in Pocket. Can we talk a little bit about that and what the roadmap looks like to address those centralization concerns? Yeah, yeah. So Pocket Network Inc. had to comply. The network, not necessarily so. I wish it happened a year and a half later, <laughs> but it is what it is. We're a US company and we are driving all the traffic through the network and we had to do what we had to do there. That has never been our intention nor, nor our hope. As you know, both of you are builders know, sometimes you have to make trade-offs early on to reach the grand vision. And the big constraint for us before I talk about that, I like how Joel from Placeholder frames decentralization for protocols across four vectors. It says supply, demand, governance, and, and capital markets. Pocket is extremely decentralized on the supply side of things. I'd say extremely decentralized on the governance side of things as well. So-so on the capital markets. I think we could be in a lot more places, but uh, we're zero, big fat zero on the demand side today. That also hurts. Um, it's not our intention at the end of the day. but you know. Where we built something new and there's constraints and trade-offs. And today there's scaling constraints to having kind of, let's call it a permissionless app demand side. And that's a big reason why we've spent so much time thinking and now building V1, which is kind of the evolution of Pocket from its current version. And I believe the actual representation of the initial vision that we laid out, that we started thinking about back in 2017, 2018. And what that's going to enable is in effect anyone to stake pocked and drive the traffic through however they would like. I would have loved to have pointed Tornado Cash to our SDK and say, hey, you know what? Bypass all the gateways, just connect to the network through the nodes and directly connect to the nodes on the network without even using any gateways. I think there's different trade-offs with that, of course, whether it's quality of service and, and some other things, but I don't think it's any different than using something like Tor in that respect. You know, we're super excited about V1. We put out the spec for that in January of last year. So we're a little bit over a year since then. And we've gotten a um, fully functional, let's call it happy path MVP. And we're hoping to have our test net for that later this year, which is extremely exciting for us. And really the big, the big benefit of V1 is the scalability and the decentralized um, permissionless demand side, which is really critical because we are also the only gateway operator, right? I would love for people in different jurisdictions to be able to operate their own gateways. I would love for people that are, you know, we're, we're extremely privacy focused as a gateway operator. We actually don't, we, we log the absolute minimal amount of things, but I'd love to see a complete anonymous auth using something like that as an example for, for, you know, basically opening up the aperture of what people can run on top of pocket. So V1 is extremely exciting for us. Uh, we're taking about a year to get this MVP from when we first outlined the spec. It hasn't really changed too much, but the scalability and the permissionless demand side, alongside a couple other really important features that we're really excited about, like the quality of service will actually be on chain, which is very exciting for us as well. 
Right now, our gateway is the one that really does all the quality of service checks. In the future, we'll have nodes with effectively scorecards but with, with a new different actor in the chain. Uh, but yeah, uh, V1 is uh, super active. Uh, we've actually got a couple external contributors now that just came out of nowhere and they've been actively participating in it, which is one of the most exciting things for me to see. And yeah, I, it's super active on GitHub, but definitely take a look at Olshansky or, or Jessica's uh, repos and, and follow them along. That's great. I, I do think also that in order to bring crypto to the masses, we have to be pragmatic about decentralization. I've seen many projects fail because they try to be too decentralized right out of the gate. So this crawl, walk, run approach to progressive decentralization as the project gains momentum, as it gains capability, as it gets traction in the market, makes a ton of sense. So I think as disappointing as it was to see so many infrastructure providers basically get in line with sanctions, I do see a path towards progressive decentralization making the most sense for the long-term success of the project. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been, me and Olshansky have been, I was our lead protocol developer. We've been talking about writing, co-authoring the blog post, talking about pragmatic decentralization, not necessarily progressive decentralization, because uh, when you talk about pragmatic and I talk about these kind of guardrails, um, you know, Pocket was always permissionless from the supply and governance side, right? So there was no way that we could actually ever control that, right? There might have been a time when we could have controlled, you know, 80% of the validator power, but we opted not to do that, right? So there's a there's also some nuance there when it comes to pragmatic versus progressive, because sometimes I think when you go progressive, I think the forces or powers that be or the incentives of making decisions changes uh, change drastically over time. And if you have those guardrails there that you can't even cross, it actually makes the decision-making path a lot easier down the road. Yeah. And maybe just because we're on the topic of V1, David, I don't know if you have any questions about V1 broadly or Michael, the sort of big things that seem to be a heavy discussion on on the V1 architecture within the community, those conversations, I'm maybe not as deep in, you know, on that. I, I kind of understand it at the high level as you described. Let me, let me but, take a yeah. stab at it and then yeah. Michael can correct me. So uh, <laughs> I've only been involved in the pocket project now for about a year, but from the outside looking in, it looks like V1 is going to do a couple of things. It's going to basically replace the consensus protocol with something that's much more scalable. So the current consensus protocol is based on Tendermint. The Pocket Network does have a lot more validators than many other Tendermint networks that I've seen and been a part of. But in addition to that, I believe it's going to specifically allow us to decentralize the supply side of the protocol and the ecosystem. Is that right, Michael? The demand side, the applications. And we're actually going to have a portal actor as a protocol, let's call it customer to the consensus which I think is, is pretty exciting that it, that'll enable some some interesting things. But, uh, but yeah, we're moving from Tendermint to Hot Stuff. And right now, Pocket is a monolithic client. So it's very tightly coupled from the RPC itself down to the consensus within the actual client itself. What's nice about V1 is that since we're building it ourselves from scratch, we'll be able to keep it much more modular. So we basically separated it into four distinct levels within the client. So we've got the consensus, the persistence, the peer-to-peer, and the utility layer. And to your question, Kevin, I think that the biggest question marks are, and any debate related to V1 is, is actually on the utility layer. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're pretty well-defined on the consensus and persistence, which is basically the database and the networking layer. And what's nice is because we're able to split it up, You know, if things change in the future, there's a better technology, we can just swap it in and out, right? I think I said we're, we're using hot stuff, but we're modifying it slightly to fit our use case. Um, excited to call it Hot Pocket. It's actually branded as a hot pocket on, on our repo. So yeah, love a hot uh, pocket. 
know, you'll see the branding there. But I think the biggest question marks that we're working diligently today is on the utility layer. Cool. Well, I'm excited to get a little better understanding of the demand. So knowing that Hot Pocket is going to be the next big client of Pocket outside of them, I want to get an understanding for like, you know, I looked through the report that you guys posted on sort of revenue from first half last year and knowing broadly what the ecosystem of people who are consuming RPC data regularly is, you know, I still want to get a sense from you as like who you see your customer as and, you know, kind of who are the the big wins. Is it wallets? I know obviously dApps are, are big consumers. I assume there's some kind of foundation layer on new protocols to incentivize people to run nodes but wondering what that landscape looks like for you, because just as the next X million users onboard into crypto, knowing the type of ways that they're going to interface with crypto are looking like that, you know, the fewer and fewer providers are kind of those wallets, those, those points as, as we identified the inferiors alchemies of the world. And so wondering how, how you think about that and how you think about your customer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's evolving. But today, our users are pretty broad and, and diverse. I believe our single largest driver of traffic is DeFi Kingdoms, which is a game. Actually, it was originally on Harmony, and then they moved over to a subnet, and they've actually recently launched on Clayton. Uh, but outside of that, it's a super broad set. You know, we've got different DeFi applications. We've also got a lot of indexers that use Pocket for the archival service. Several wallets using us. We're actually sponsoring WalletCon over at Denver in a couple of weeks. So super excited about that. And that's kind of up to today, you know, and that's kind of, let's call it a, a B2C model, right? Um, as we kind of move into this world with not just one gateway, but many gateways, we want to provide the opportunity for others to be able to drive traffic and build the network and, and so on and so forth. So we're now increasingly talking to actually other node providers and other centralized infrastructure providers who are beginning to send traffic to us and, that's because of the architecture of Pocket Network that's so cost-effective from our perspective. At the end of the day, Pocket Network Inc. is just running gateways. We're not actually running the bulk of the nodes of the network at this point. So we're able to actually offer the same service at a significantly cheaper cost. And that's quite interesting, for example, when you talk about, hey, if I'm running a free tier, that's a loss leader for me. And if I can cut that cost in half or by a third or by two thirds, that's a pretty big deal as an infrastructure provider. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one side of our customer base. And for me, you know, a success case would be most of this traffic settling down to pocket at the end of the day, right? And, and everyone serves their unique customer base. Yeah. You know, we can't compete with an alchemy on like all the sophisticated APIs or quick node or anything like that. I would rather let a thousand flowers bloom and really like the needs of Web3 developers today to me are effectively infinite. <laughs> so if you can enable as many people to serve as many different types of customers as possible, all using Pocket as a backend, I think that really is our unique advantage in the space mm-hmm. and why yeah. people want to use us in the first place. To that point about centralized providers, I feel like intuitively how I was thinking about some of this, and I'm wondering you know, if it really is just a conversation about economics and you guys being a cheaper option for them in the use case that you described, but also just generally like from a, a sort of risk mitigation perspective, having a percentage of their operation kind of pushed out to pocket in it's just diversity of hardware and infrastructure. It would seem like that could be like a good argument for why they should at least have some portion of their stack that they're not just running in AWS or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of the conversation. Uh, we're definitely used as a backup provider for, for many folks as well, right? If things break, we're always on. So that's definitely an important piece. And also, I mean, the fact that we are decentralized, I like guess, you know, a lot of the people building the space care about decentralization. They may not be building protocols, but just 
inherently they do care about this. At least the, the providers do, many of them do. So for them to be able to take a step in that direction by using Pocket as well is something that has also been interesting to folks like that as well. And then I, I cut you off. I don't know if you wanted to finish that thought before I ask uh, my next kind of related question. No, I was just going to say the other kind of, let's call it customer persona is, is, is new blockchains. Right. Uh, we, we were able to launch new blockchains, I believe, the quickest and the cheapest because, again, we're just operating the gateways. Uh, it's more of a coordination problem than a technology problem. Uh, you know, you need to be able to justify the OPEX cost for spinning up a new chain if you're a centralized provider and you need to basically guarantee of a minimum amount of traffic, right? And what's nice about Pocket is that on the supply side, it's a dynamic market. So if you're doing 10 million requests for David Chain, for example, or Kevin Chain, that's okay, right? The number of nodes to be able to reliably support that will fill it out, right? Now, if more traffic comes in, more nodes will come in because there's more opportunity, right? So because it's a dynamic market, the amount of traffic that you send at the end of the day, as long as it's past the bare minimum, enables us to support as many chains as possible, as quickly as possible. So that's the other uh, kind of major customer persona for us right now. Yeah, it's striking because it's obviously not a one-to-one comparison, but in many ways analogous to the experience we have as independent validators and where we end up. I think when I came into this, I expected to find people across the major chains, and those would be the people that would flock to our banner. And it's really been people who, through the kind of way the blockchain ecosystem operates, you have to look for these new opportunities. And that's where, you know, they're not just co-signing the handful of really large operators. And I wonder if there's, you know, kind of some skeuomorphism there in the sense that like a new blockchain that wants to bring on the whatever name your sort of validator, node operator, they sort of have certain asking terms that like a protocol that services this through a number of independent operators perhaps doesn't have to sort of cut those backroom deals in, in the same kind of way. It can be a little bit more transparent, which which is cool and kind of leads into my next question, which is really just what you see as your biggest challenge in getting new business. What are the objections that you often see from networks? And I'm interested in as much as you're able to give around different ecosystems. I know something we've talked about as we've internally decided which nodes to run relays for in pocket, thinking about like within Cosmos, where there's a few chains that there's sort of a pre-existing standard that there is a lot more people just running public RPCs for free that people can query as opposed to like EVM chains where that's maybe not quite the same setup. So yeah, interested in, in your perspective on that. Yeah, um, there's a couple of points there. One, so we usually go into a bidding process for new chains and our sales team is espousing Pocket's value prop. When it comes to why people choose others over us, and sometimes it's cost, sometimes it's brand, sometimes it's uh, you know wanting to go with the known name rather than kind of an upstart like us. And really what we're focused on is how can we build unique points that, that really leverage the unique properties of Pocket, the network, right? So I've been talking internally pretty recently, you know, when we kind of go through these different bidding processes of what if we do a bounty for our node runners to are running new clients for these different blockchains and we submit bounties to, you know, our, our network submits, you know, pull requests and fixes and changes to the clients because we've got an entire network of really professional 
infrastructure operators, as an example, right? And how can the pocket DAO pay that out, right? And uh, if you're a protocol builder, right? And you know whether it's a foundation or, or a company, I think that's a really interesting, attractive value prop, right? So it's really trying to get to the point to where it'd be silly not to say no when it comes to wanting to add new chains and that sort of thing. Um, I think I've seen numbers anywhere between fifty thousand dollars and a million dollars of people charging to add some of these chains. Uh, we're definitely on the lower end of things when it comes to these sorts of bids, but we're able to do this at a just a reliable, just as fast and, and these sorts of things, right? So that's not 100%, but people, you know, there's there's a definite bidding process with other folks uh, with some of these chains. And for us, it's just continuing to add them and move forward to build that brand and, and credibility to increase it. And I hope it's not only us in the future as well. It shouldn't have to be us, by the way. That's just, you know, we've got our sales team and our sales engine, but really anyone's able to do this at the end of the day. Uh, so the DAO is approved, uh, has been able to approve, hey, you know, if we want to support this chain, you know, the foundation can whitelist it, right? So while we're doing this ourselves, I would hope that we can kind of educate and kind of show people our playbook for these sorts of things to be able to add more chains to pocket and, and drive that traffic and, and that growth for us or for the network. Give me. Yeah, great. Do you see anything to add there? I know we're getting short on time, but I wanted to spend a few minutes touching on governance because I've, I've seen a lot of different stuff in Web3 governance and stumbling on a new proof of stake network. I expect, oh, if I just have a bunch of tokens, I'm going to have a big say in governance in this project. And what I found as I've gotten my feet wet with Pocket is that's not how it works in Pocket. So Michael, do you want to spend a few minutes talking about the governance system in Pocket and how it works? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I said earlier, I believe we're building institutions. And to do that, you want to make sure that you have equal say across the board for people. So Jack Lang has been working with us now for four years. Uh, he just moved over to the foundation as executive director. And we spent probably a year and a half kind of thinking about the right way to do this for Pocket. We always both felt that we didn't want token-weighted governance. We've seen, you know, we don't want to kind of banana republic, if you will, within the pocket network. So we definitely were deeply thinking about how to best implement, in effect, a democracy within the network. And of course, one of the biggest challenges with that has been one person or one entity, one vote, right? How do we protect against civil attacks and people taking over the DAO and, and you know malicious actors and this sort of thing? So uh, we kind of took it from first principles and said, hey, we're a nascent network. We want to set the rules and the standard it doesn't have to be on chain, in my opinion. At the end of the day, coordination is coordination, politics is politics. People have their own incentives, their own interests. That's okay. But the important part was that we could design a system that ensured that people who participate in the network and who are most knowledgeable about the network have the biggest say within the protocol and what happens with it. So at the end of the day, what we did was we designed a game <laughs> called the Pocket Arcade. And in effect, if you are a node runner or an application or a part of the community, you complete these quests and that could be serving nodes. It could be submitting a pull request. It could be building a tool. And as you start to do that, you complete these quests, you gain levels. And when you get to level three, you then claim what's now known as a soulbound token. But back then it was just a non-transferable token. And that's how you claim your vote within the DAO, within the pocket DAO. And really the pocket DAO governs three things. Uh, it governs the monetary policy. It's it's heavily parameterized. So we've gone not towards necessarily governance minimization, but towards something that's fair for folks to participate in. 
It also governs protocol upgrades, and it also governs the Dow Treasury, which gets 10% of, of all the inflation. So all of our proposals that the Dow participates in revolves around that. You know, we started out by we wrote a constitution for Pocket. That's really important because at the end of the day, we're humans. And once we set a standard, we want to make sure that especially these early systems have the participants, the creators keep the credibility. So we wanted to make sure we had a set of rules to follow by to make sure that people understand that we're doing this in the most credible way possible. Because early on, we, we bootstrapped it with kind of five initial voters. Funnily enough, uh, only two out of the five are actually active because they were actually given the votes from day one. I think we have about 60 or 65 voters now, and they're all by far more active than those initial ones. So we've designed processes and we intentionally made it difficult as well. It was a high filter or it was a high barrier of entry. I think we're starting to adjust things a little bit, but that was also important because we wanted people who care to participate, you know, to, to really have a voice in how things move forward. So at the end of the day, you know, had about 60-ish people claim votes. And we've got kind of traditional kind of democratic showings between like 40 and 80% of all the proposals that we've seen, 80% being the most contentious ones, obviously. But I also think having friction and having contentious votes is actually really important for the process. It's been really nice to see how everyone really frankly has their own incentives and their own interests. And that ends up making proposals much better, much stronger, really healthier at the end of the day. And, and the important part is that there's respect across the board for everyone. Pretty proud to say that the, for the most part, sometimes it gets a little, a little heated on the forums, but for the most part, everyone's extremely considerate and respectful, which is, I think, really important for a proper democratic process. So if I had to TLDR, it's an opt-in democracy where you earn your vote. And once you're a citizen, you're a citizen, right? And you can then participate in the process. Yeah, I've been a part of multiple governance systems, and this is by far, I think, the most unique. The gamification is different. It's interesting. And I, I do think it's effective at making sure that the people who jump through those hurdles are unique, they're human, and they care. And I think that's really what you want in terms of who's participating in, in governance on your system. Yeah, I was actually inspired from Meta Cartel, actually, a metagame, I think. So metagame was a very, very early version of that. And we kind of just evolved it for our own use case. But we've taken, actually, we took a lot of inspiration from Decred as well, in terms of how they've built Platia as well. Mm -hmm. And and also Zcash, actually, uh, with, with some of the protocol inflation with Zcash as well. Um, and also Dash. Mm -hmm. Dash is one of the earliest, most interesting experiments, in my opinion, when it comes to governance for these things. They were, I think they were one of the first experiment with kind of these checks and balances with a foundation that's helping govern things. And, and Dash was actually super instructive. Uh, one of the earliest, uh, one of the folks, uh, he's known as Ben Van online. Uh, he, he was like an early, early Dash OG and I learned a lot from him about it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I guess to put a pin in that, and perhaps we've covered it a little bit, I did want to ask the questions like, what do you think Pocket needs most from its community? right now as a lot of these like v1 is being worked on there's a certain patience that's needed as these updates that kind of bring about these needed changes i'm interested in yeah yeah what do you think about that thinking about the what is it the jfk quarter is it fdr sorry that's not what your country can do but what you can do for your country as the sdl as as members of the pocket community i think we're dc has started our journey through the pocket arcade as well yeah just kind of Want to hear what your thoughts are? Yeah, yeah. I think the most impactful thing is just building things. I think everyone on the supply side has such intimate knowledge of how things work to be able to build tooling and things that, that we know will help. And that goes on the gateway side as well. I know 
several node runners have expressed interest in operating their own gateways. And one of the things I think we have the opportunity to do is really build a developer ecosystem around gateways. And originally we thought that this would be around the applications using Pocket where they'd be interested in, you know, contributing and, and, and building on top of Pocket. But at the end of the day, everyone's focused on their DAP or their business or, or whatever. They don't have time to, to think about that. So, you know, I think 95% of the network will end up be operated by gateway providers on top of the protocol and folks thinking about how to improve our own gateway, which is, which is open source and building out their own versions as we lead up to V1 is, I think, really important. And yeah, finding, you know, creative people, interesting campaigns, really kind of mobilizing everyone together, I think is also an interesting opportunity, which we've done a couple of things. Like I know the DAO has funded some, some Reddit, a subreddit for us, for example, and continues to pay it out. And I would just say, like, it's, it's still a pretty small community, and, and don't be afraid to, to speak out and try to contribute in the day. But I feel pretty lucky that it's really a network of builders and a bunch of really talented people looking to improve it. And, and the difference is that it's you know, not building dApps or anything related to that. It's, it's really infrastructure. So it's a different kind of builder. It's a bunch of infrastructure engineers, which is pretty cool to see. So I think we collectively can build some pretty cool things. Awesome. Well, the host in me feels like that's a perfect way to end the episode on the governance question, which we feel really strongly about and what we can do to help. But selfishly, I think the only thing that that we didn't touch on is I am interested to touch on inflation really quickly and sort of how you see the sort of extension from the growth to the maturity phase as it's described in sort of the docs that you have and kind of where we're at along that journey. I'd be interested to understand it a little more. I know that's definitely one of the things most discussed in the pocket forums. Yeah. Yeah. So pocket is an economic experiment. Mm -hmm. First off, it's a novel model, right? Our inflation is dynamic based on the usage and just to set some context, right? We, uh, Pocket's been live for about two and a half years and a little bit over that. And really that first year was spent just fixing things, stability on the consensus side, the quality of service, kind of what I was saying later. And then, you know, we decided to subsidize all the traffic once we've hit a real inflection point, right? With the quality of service and the stability. And, and I think the thing that we probably miscalculated the most was the rate of growth. We were trying to get to hundred million relays by the end of the year in 2021 we ended up getting to like two or 300 million relays by the end of the year. And that resulted in a ton of inflation. We, we had an entire supply side demand really drive the reflexive growth of the network as we were driving traffic on the demand side, which resulted in a ton of inflation. I think around January was when the community started to really rally around the conversation and, and make some decisions about how best to reduce it. We made that decision, I want to say in March or something like that, and started to reduce it. So in 2022, I think we were on 100% inflation midway through. We got to around 50%, and now more recently around 16, 18%. Um, I'm pretty of the mind that we need to continue to reduce it. I think one of the interesting side effects, silver linings of last year, with the token doing what it's done, is that it's incentivized more people to move to bare metal, which is great. I think we should really try to incentivize 80, 90% of the network either moving to bare metal or owning servers and running them in colos or data centers. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to be our competitive advantage as a protocol. And it's a bit of a chicken or the egg problem, but we're trying to help solve that by driving the demand, right? In our first quarterly report, we it was about $420,000 of sheer protocol pocked, purchase pocked revenue, right? And the way that I like to think about it is the dollar emissions, like what, you know, how much does it cost to operate the network at the scale that we're at, right? Is that $3 million? Is it $4 million? Is it $5 million? I think at today's prices, we're looking at 
15 million dollars of, of network of emitting pocked over the course of the year right for me it's you know kind of getting into let's call it maturity which i think once we're let's say right size on the demand versus the the emissions side I think is, is an interesting point in time to, to think about how we're maturing because I think we can get the demand to outstrip the supply emissions, at which point I think it would be really interesting to think about the burning side of things, which is kind of the consistent demand side pressure, right? That people need to, uh, need to have at the end of the day a sustainable protocol, right? And that's really the big focus for us. So when I think about inflation, um, I think about that in, in context of how much demand is being generated. And when I talk about folks operating other gateways that all helps even out that emissions inflation. So, you know, it's been honestly quite interesting to just see how everyone has continued to, to really coalesce around lowering it. It's always been a question of how and how fast as well, or when actually. But I think most people are in pretty good agreement about, you know, we need to continue to lower it, at least from the conversations that I'm seeing online. You know, that doesn't discount the fact that once we kind of get this under control, then we kind of have, uh, let's say, a surplus of demand. We could even have uh, an increase of inflation to further decentralize the supply side and attract more node runners, right? But for me, the most important thing is really having a sustainable demand and supply equilibrium. So that way, moving forward, things grow in a more sustainable manner. <laughs> so that's really where my head's at when I think about the inflation and economics of the protocol. I think we've done a really good job of getting to where we need to get. I think we need to push a little bit more. And I would love to bring things to the point to where most of the network is operating on bare metal at the very least. Cool. Thanks for that. I know we only have a couple more minutes. So David, any closing thoughts? No, just I know, Michael, that you and some other pocket team members are going to be out at ETH Denver here in a couple of weeks. What's the best way for folks to get in touch and to interact with you folks uh, while you're out in Denver? Yeah. Um, so just reach out to us on Twitter. I think uh, there's been a couple of threads and retweets from some of the team members. So it'll be about eight or nine of us there. Arthur, Gabby, Olshansky, Daniel Olshansky. He's actually doing a talk on RPC Trilemma uh, and how Pocket <laughs> solves that. So, so very excited nice. about that. And yeah, Eric and Vicky and Pedro and Natalia, there's a bunch of us that'll be there. So um, I'd say uh, follow our Twitter account. You can follow my Twitter account as well. You can shoot me a DM if you're, if you're curious. I'm happy to actually check my Twitter DMs more than anything else at this point, just because Telegram is, is a bit difficult. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, keep tabs on us. We're actually hosting a couple events too. We'll all be at WalletCon in Denver as well. We're, we're sponsors for, for WalletCon, obviously, since we're multi-chain. I think there's a really nice use case there for wallets. And, um, and yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, be shouting from the rooftops where we are. Awesome. Thank you. Sweet. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for your time today. Awesome, everyone. This was a pleasure. It was, it was great talking to you guys. Yeah. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Ready. <laughs>